This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick here for this week's Friday Morning GM with co-host Voss Larikos of Baltimore Beatdown. Voss, how are you doing? Doing well, doing very well. Good to see the Ravens get back to their winning ways on the other side of the pond. And I hope you had a nice, uh, a nice trip. Yeah, good time. I've talked about it a lot on the shows here, so we don't need to we don't need to rehash that. Uh, but but really enjoyable uh, going over there. Uh, the trade deadline coming up now is probably the biggest GM event on the uh, current football horizon. Take us through your high level thoughts on that. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, there's been a lot of banter back and forth among the Ravens flock. Who do the Raven, who should the Ravens target? They need to make a move. They need to make an impact move. And in preparation for this podcast, uh, we were looking to identify the needs. And I personally struggled to find too many needs because I do think this is the most complete roster the Ravens have fielded since their 2012 championship team. And in a way, Eric DeCosta already made his quote unquote deadline moves with uh, Jadavian Clowney, Ronald Darby and Kyle Van Noy. Um, so personally, I, I would for the most part like to stand pat. I definitely don't want to part with any top 100 picks in the next draft. I think all of those three um, or four, depending on the compensatory pick, are going to be needed to restock the shelves at the premium positions, looking in the long-term outlook, uh, offensive tackle, wide receiver, uh, pass rusher, and cornerback are tough positions to fill uh, cheaply. So uh, that's kind of where my head is at now. I think they have what they need to de- dethrone the, the Chiefs. It's a matter of uh, better execution and developing more chemistry. All right. All right. So uh, we did agree that we'd each come up with a three, two, one in terms of of where they might look for talent. I, I've certainly got that. Uh, do you want to start with number three? Sure. So uh, my number three position of uh, to target would be free safety. Um, and it's mostly due to the injury to Marcus Williams. Uh, not only does he have the pectoral injury, but now a hamstring injury he suffered last game. He also had Daryl Worley, who played very well in limited action before he was hurt with a shoulder injury, currently on injury reserve. I haven't heard word if he is expected to return or not. Um, So, you know, you have Geno Stone playing at a very high level. You have Kyle Hamilton playing at a very high level. But I personally would like to have Hamilton, the ability to have Hamilton uh, align as the nickel defender and make a larger impact. So if there is a player who gives the – offers the range on the back end to allow that for a, a low cost uh, trade. I would be interested in that. Yeah. I think that that's a reasonable acquisition target. Of course, the I, it's my number two is, is going after safety and I, I'm with you. I want a back end split safety or a free safety, but somebody who could who definitely can handle the, the coverage component of playing half field on the back end. Cause that's been what's made the Ravens so effective 
overall on defense. And it hasn't really seemed to matter who that is. It, it could be Daryl Worley. It could be Stone. Even a Williams, you know, playing with one arm uh, was was still helping in terms of the passing game, uh, you know, getting set up back there. But uh, uh, he's now at a point after watching him have trouble tackling Derrick Henry twice this last week where I kind of almost hope the hamstring keeps him out given the fact that he doesn't appear to be ready because of that, that one arm play and they're, and they're, they're still trying to get him in there. Right. And there's no word that the pectoral injury would heal itself in the meantime. Um, and maybe he can become your, your nickel defender, but instead of playing the back end play, um, I'm sorry, but instead of playing closer to the line, the slot play the back end potentially. But as far as a base defender, I don't necessarily want Williams on the field at this moment either. Right, it's a good point. I mean, in base, you 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 might be facing might be more likely to face a run anyway. And uh, but even in in base, if they're starting from a cover two look, which they can do, they didn't this last week against Tennessee. They really, for the first time, they got out of cover two very regularly, and we're playing a lot of single high. Um, that kind of puts you in more danger because it gives them a chance to throw at Williams. Don't know if it really affects his ability to get the footballs. He made a really nice play on the ball, but uh, but you know if it's going to affect him anywhere, it's going to be on that sideline. If the corner gets beat, falls down, whatever might happen, uh, he's he's got to make a tackle, and that uh, did not appear to be an easy thing for him to do in this last couple of games he's played. Definitely. Really struggle with that, and you, know, you are thinner there than pretty much anywhere else on the roster, so yeah. They signed Andrew Adams, who is another older guy, along with Houston Carson, who's already on the roster. Both of them approaching 31 or already 31. They're both in that neighborhood. Um, Andrew Adams has about 3,000 career snaps in the NFL and has always been a pretty good coverage guy for a lot of his career with Tampa Bay, before that with the New York Giants when he first came into the league. Um, and he's a guy who has uh, played a lot of free safety and less strong safety, which I really like. Car- Houston Carson, more of a strong safety. Yes, that strong safety skill set could be filled by Brandon Stevens if necessary. Um, so I think there's some other players on the practice squad that could probably help that. But the free safety skill set is valuable because the success of the defense so far this year has really been predicated on clogging up the middle of the field and allowing um, those stunts and pressures and deceptive uh, elements to get home. So if you lose that for any reason, then the uh, then the whole dynamic of the defense could, could change yeah. on its head. Definitely dramatically reduces the the requirements of the cornerback group to have uh, you know free safeties playing the back end still be able to stop the run with six in the box as consistently they have really really remarkable and and up to the hallmark standard the Ravens have had in their in their history. I'll jump ahead with my number three then um, safety was my number two but interior defensive line is my number three. We're, we're kind of waiting to see what happens with Brett Urban at this point. I don't believe there's anybody on the Ravens practice squad. They have Bravian Roy, a fourth-year player who has three years with Carolina, not playing particularly well. Um, they have some other guys uh, who they maybe could re-sign, uh, and they have uh, Rash- uh, Rashad Nichols is still around. So they've they've got players they could get in there, but if you're really talking about a 20-snap-a-game guy, which I think is what they'd want if Urban is not able to play – I'm not sure they have that guy right now on the practice squad. And it would be nice to pick up just a competent defensive lineman. And the nice thing about the Ravens right now is I think they could do it at one of several positions. I think they could get a one, a three, or a five because some of their players, like, say, Travis Jones, 
could move to a three and and Washington could move out to five to take Urban's primary uh, component of the role. I think they have some flexibility given the personnel they they, they, they have right now, but uh, uh, it really feels to me like they need another a little more defensive line depth. And I'm not even accounting for potential future injuries with that group. So that's actually my number two is uh, down lineman. Um, I had a kind of, I would prefer a three or a five technique, maybe someone in the Calais Campbell, Trevor Price kind of size and shape. Um, you can never have too much pass rush. And when you're facing some of these top echelon quarterbacks, hypothetically in the postseason, they're very good at evading edge pressure. But pressure in their face disrupts Mahomes, it disrupts Allen, it disrupts everybody. Tom Brady, obviously. Uh, so that would be my number two, not only for this year, but ideally could be a player that could be retained next year because they're losing quite a few pieces uh, with the stinger that Brent Urban is uh, dealing with right now. You're already pretty short with five to begin. So if you're down one, down to four, and I think it's also likely that the, a player acquired could be an upgrade from uh, Broderick Washington from a pass rushing standpoint. So that really would be a place um, where I think it would make some sense. I'm pretty content with the outside linebacker rotation, as I know you are as well, uh, mm-hmm. with Clowney and Van Noy stepping up um, and away oh, getting back on the p- practice field yesterday. So that would be the place I really think on defense that could be the, the the icing on the cake, cherry on top type of move. Just add one more penetrator into that rotation and really cause some havoc in the postseason. So are you, are you saying you'd like to go more expensive on the IDL or you'd go for basic level of competence, 20 snaps a game? We're not trying to to get a workhorse here. I think it depends on how much team control you have after this year. If he, if it's a third-year player um, or a guy with an, you know a, another couple of years on his contract at a reasonable cost, I would be willing to go a little bit more. If not, you could, might be able to just sign somebody off the street, if, especially if you just want a zero or a one technique. Those guys hang around till, you know, Halloween and Thanksgiving sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what the Ravens did in 2018 with Jelly Ellis and, and Damata Pecco. So um, those are good pickups. Okay, your, your number one position then. Who's your, did we do your number two yet? Uh, my number two was safety. Oh, okay. So my number one is, uh, yes, yes. Um, my number one is left guard. And, uh, again, I did struggle to kind of put this list together. I considered running back. Um, I considered even a hybrid tight end as a potential need or a potential something that could help out or, or a backup cornerback. Running back, just on a quick tangent, uh, Justice Hill just saw a chart put out by Sumner Smorts, which is an analytical mm-hmm. um Hill is top five among all running backs in success rate this year and top eight in EPA per rush this year out of all running backs. So I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze upgrading tailback. Going back to left guard, John Simpson has been the weakest link for the most part. Um, In ideal world, you get a stud franchise cornerstone left tackle at the deadline and move on from Ronnie Stanley. But what would you do with Stanley in the meantime? Number one, number two, um, it's very rare that a left tackle is comes available without some type of concerns. We remember Eugene Monroe, which is probably Ozzy's biggest deadline deal he ever made, um, didn't have the work ethic. So if you can upgrade from Simpson with a player that can also lend a little bit of assistance to Stanley um, and also, again, be part of the solution in 2024 where you're looking at a very uncertain situation at the guard positions, that would be my target. 
I, I'm with you in the sense that both guard positions are uncertain. 2024 is up in the air. The Ravens do have some additional options on the interior. Uh, Mustafer played well at center. They might try him at guard. He's a big man. I think he's better at center, honestly, than he than he is at guard because just the relative size seems to work in his advantage there. Um, the other thing, Ben Cleveland, I think they probably want him at right tackle to be the backup, but he he's just probably much better suited to being a left guard or a right guard for that matter. Um, and, you know, but I'm, I'm with you in the sense that Zeitler appears to be gone next year. It, honestly, he's not played well, that well this year. And he's a guy that I, that I want to, uh, you know, Andrew Vores is, is hopefully going to replace him next year. Let's put it that way. Simpson has not worked out the way the Ravens would have hoped. Certainly I, I was much more hopeful. The penalties have persisted. So I understand your need for a left guard, but um, my choice is going to left tackle. And I think I, I would approach the problem a little differently. So they've got three ways they can solve the left tackle issue going forward. One is um, you can you can trade for a player at this deadline or possibly during the offseason as well. Either, either one is possible, but you have many more motivated sellers at the trade deadline than you have during the offseason. And I'm not even defining yet whether you're going stud or developmental player because I think you could you could do either. And then, of course, you can sign somebody in the offseason – that's probably the least likely because of the Ravens' current cap situation to go out and, and really pay some money to sign somebody. They got very lucky with Morgan Moses, but Morgan Moses was a right tackle. And you know a left tackle is just a, a, a premium number they're going to have to pay for that. Or they can go out and find it in the draft. It's supposed to be a good year for, for ta- uh, draftable tackles. I think there's a lot of merit to that. I think the other thing you can do with tackles is try and get a guy who is – a year away or has some trait that the scouts don't like that the Ravens think they can fix and get him in your in round two or three. I don't want to I don't want a pure lead-footed, huge monolith of a person like we have with Falele, who who doesn't seem to have movement skills, but I'd be willing to accept some other trait that was not ideal. Like maybe the guy's not totally inside his frame now, or maybe he's a he's a guy from from overseas who's just played the position for a year after converting from tight end, and he has all the arm length you want, but he, but otherwise, you know, he, he's he's uh, uh, not the guy you, you you exactly want. So I think th- there's ways you can fix it, and. You know, looking at what Ronnie Stanley is going to save the Ravens next year if they cut him, it's only about eight million dollars. I don't think that I think that represents too much of a barrier to finding that guy for that kind of cost. So I think you 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 have the luxury at the risk of having a two year plan at left tackle to fix it. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, it, it's definitely supposed to be a good tackle class. I don't follow the draft too closely this time of year, but I did listen to uh, Dane Brugler's on the athletic. Uh, I think it came out earlier this week and they, they, they went down the offensive tackles. And I said, well, that's a position of me. Let me listen to this one. And uh, yeah, quite a few good prospects. I would probably earmark that first round pick to that. But if you can find a developmental player, um, you know, McCary is serviceable. I believe at left tackle. Um, so if you can do better than that, and I agree with you, I would prefer someone with the skills and but needed work and technique versus uh, versus the alternative. So uh, overall, I just don't think they have a ton of needs. I think the Casa will probably make a, a small move, um, just maybe adding another edge rusher depending on Bowser, somebody that's kind of a 
a fourth round pick or a fifth round pick, that type of move. I don't see a blockbuster move and I don't think they need a blockbuster move. And I wouldn't recommend a blockbuster move because you want to extend this window of having a complete roster as long as you can. If you go too far in one year, you're going to, you're going to chop off some of the, uh, you know, the upside of that in the future. A huge number of players leaving in free agency after this year. It will generate some comp picks. Those won't come in until 2025, however. So 2024, they've got a set of draft picks they've got to live with. And they've got a couple of lottery tickets that they've got stashed away. Andrew Voorhees being the big one, you know, hopefully jumping in at left guard for Zeitler. But, you know, they're going to have to fill that inside linebacker position. And, you know, maybe Simpson is the guy, but, you know, we don't know that right now. We, we really don't know. We haven't seen enough. What we have seen, I don't think. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. It's been nearly good enough in terms of the preseason to, to, to say he's, uh, he's going to be ready to go. Uh, you know, what they have done is they've just been remarkable at finding guys to fill in on that edge. And so that is a position yeah. I specifically would try not to address. I would probably say the same thing for running back, almost certainly. You, you, you mentioned it in terms of productivity, which is the best way to say it. Um, but I'll also add that, that, that they haven't even they don't even know what Keaton Mitchell could do for them. And Keaton Mitchell is a right. key, key piece for 24. So you better find out this year what you have there. And, uh, and I'm also uh, really would be opposed to, to going out and getting a wide receiver at this point. Uh, the bodies are basically healthy. It's a matter of getting these guys to play football. And, I, you know, whatever they would try and get at wide receiver, it's probably going to be quite expensive. Yeah, I mean, the big names, a lot of people are interested in, in Brian Burns, a pass rusher from Carolina, who's uh, likely to, to require a first-round pick and then a cornerstone contract afterwards. The other one's Chase Young. Um, Spielberger uh, came up with a, a third-round pick in 24 and in 25. I like the player. The cost isn't crazy, but I just – when you have Clowney playing this well – do you need that? Is that is he going to be a cornerstone player for you long term? So you're well, you know, your cornerstone. I don't think you can afford him. He's a rental for for this yeah. year only. So that's why he's as cheap as he is. If it were a four and a three, and we're really trading away a uh, what would effectively be a comp pick in the third round from the twenty five draft, I think I'm more interested in that because there's a lot of variation in value within the third round. And yeah. the Ravens could literally have the last pick of the third round. So if it's a it's, if it's a floating third, I'm 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 a little bit more excited about that. But I still, you know, honestly, there's some injury risk for the Ravens at edge still. I mean, yes. Owe, you know, certainly going back, and and the other two are older. Um, you know, you, you I I I won't say there's no need there. I just don't think it's the pressing need that that they have at other positions. Right. I mean, they're leading the league in sacks right now. So yeah. uh, I don't know. Some some people want. Pass rush in the quarterback's face every single down, and it's just not uh, not realistic. There are should be quite a few sellers: Denver, Carolina, the Giants, the Vikings, the Patriots, the mm-hmm. Titans, and the Cardinals. One other name I'll float at you before we move on: your old friend on on way Michael on how do you pronounce it from the Patriots, the big guard for Michigan. Oh. Anwayno? Oh, I yeah. would love him. Yeah. yeah. So uh, he was floated. Again, I believe I saw it on PFF. Spielberger saying, 
left guard is kind of their position they have a need for, and he could be the perfect fit for for a relatively uh, low cost. I believe he's in the last year of his rookie deal. Uh, I, I have to see how he's playing this year. I really, really would lo- like that. But uh, uh, certainly he's a guy who's, who's been very flexible to play tackle or guard in the past and uh, might be a guy you could get away with even playing at left tackle. It'd be an interesting, uh, uh, you know, swing guard tackle risk, but he certainly has the experience doing it. Uh, a lot of people, guys I've had on the Know Your Foe episode, have really bashed him for what he's got between his ears. Okay. They think he's just, you know, a, a you know, a million dollar body and a, and a 50 cent mind kind of thing in terms of of uh, not being a smart football player. But so that would be frustrating. But but uh, you know, he was certainly a guy I like coming out of Michigan way back when. Right. So we'll see. We'll see what the cost does. He has about two weeks now from today. And I would expect, you know, a fifth or sixth round pick to to be used to bolster, you know, maybe a. A, a secondary need and just give you a little bit more, but this is not the year to uh, to back up the truck for a Roquan trade, a second round pick, and uh, and, and give up a big contract too. Yep, totally with you. We're uh, we're on the same page in this one, and uh, uh, let's uh, go on. One thing that I want to talk about in this episode was was the practice squad composition because this is a team obviously that has to look till 2024 to fill a number of needs. And you look at the Ravens practice squad right now, and they have five guys on the practice squad currently who are eight-year veterans or or or, or older. It's, it's like four eights and a nine or something. It's, and, and it's all the names you know, Laquan Treadwell, Houston Carson, Adams, who they just signed, uh, the – Gordon. Uh, it, Melvin Gordon. What the hell is Melvin Gordon still doing on the practice squad? He, <laughs> he can't even be activated. Right. They got promoted. <laughs> Uh, you know, and they had Kenyon Drake and they cut him another eighth year player to get to, you know, to get pick up another eighth year player. Uh, but, you know, my, my problem is that they've only really got about four or five guys right now on that practice squad who are legitimate possibilities of being on the team next year. And Tayshawn Manning would be one of them. And by the way, he's one of the possible possible fixes at guard, or at least in terms of guard depth for next year and maybe mm-hmm. playing a starting role at some point in the future. Um, but Manning is is one. Uh, Lucian is a guy who's who's been around the entire time and is trying to learn how to play uh, safety, as I understand it. But he's a he's a defensive back, cornerback, uh, safety. So he, he certainly could play into the Ravens' depth uh, in twenty four. Uh, I don't think we'll see him even with the the amount of trouble they're having at safety. I don't think he's somebody we're going to see this year. Um, and then and then they have uh, Vokalek at tight end mm-hmm. and. Uh, they have a bunch of young tight ends and signed for long-term tight ends at this point. Uh, it, it becomes a question of, you know, does, does he replace Ricard somehow or, you know, what's going on? I'm not of the opinion right now that, that, that the Ravens are going to easily let Ricard um, slip from their fingers next year, even at $4 million. I mean, he's just he's still a big part of this Monken offense. That's true. That's true. Um, I'm going to take the contrarian point on this topic uh, slightly. I think they have some developmental players that in previous years would have been considered sort of practice squad candidates on the 53 in Mitchell, Kolar, uh, Jeremiah Moon, who was promoted. Good point. Uh, Armour Davis, Malik Ham is also sort of that type of player. And Pepe's kind of borderline depending on how you consider him. Okay. I, I, I just got to stop you for a second. I can't tell you how bad it sucks 
that two fourth round draft picks you just named in Armour Davis and Pepe are our yeah. practice squad candidates who are on the 53. Yeah. <laughs> and they're, well, on the, yeah. they're on the practice squad candidate. Caillou Blue Kelly gets gets ripped out of their fingers as soon they, as they, they come. They got to take a look at uh, – their uh, their evaluation of uh, day three corners, I think, when you see some of the other players around the th- around the uh, league uh, stepping up, but that's neither here nor there. I, I want to give the cost of credit. I think it's actually smart that he's kind of adjusted his uh, categorization or or just his mythology as far as the practice squad, where he adds veteran players as opposed to younger players. I guess figuring that their experience. Um, on a one-year deal, the cost is is pretty similar, especially with that veteran um, benefit. Um, so he's had said uh, Worley, Seymour, and Mustafer, who they had a practice squad that became sort of back end of the roster players for similar costs. The biggest difference is how many years of team control do you have? But as we've seen with, I guess, Kenny Drake and some of these other, you know, just really back end guys. They are pretty much resignable if you want to resign them for the next year. Um, so I, I think it's I think it's an an adjustment that he's made because of the rule change where you're allowed to roster more veterans. Mm-hmm. And I can see the pluses and minuses to it. I don't think it's I think it it is always a balance between 23 and 24 and 25. But I don't. Uh, I think there are some benefits to going the veteran route sometimes as well. Okay. I, I, and I'm not denying it. I just, I, I'm, I'm specifically pointing out that in 24, they have all these free agents leaving. You need to have more lottery tickets on your practice squad of players you think really might move up. And obviously there's certain players, you just can't hide them on the practice squad for a year waiting for somebody to, to come up. So you're, you're right. If, if that's the thing right. it's, it's the guys like, and, and somebody like Manning, by the way, he may be gone before the end of the year, before they get a chance ever to activate him because, you know, th- that replacement level drops like hell as the season goes on, uh, on the offensive line in particular. And so he's a guy who they, who they well may lose. But, you know, I would hope that they would have other players. Um, it, you know, honestly, if it came, if, if time rolls on here, I, it wouldn't shock me if, if Salah, would be cut and Manning would be brought up given Salah's obvious, uh, you know, non-readiness to play. Right. Rawness. Um, yeah. You know, I think the Casa kind of uses the 53 as who do we want to protect for next year? Yeah. At least more than who do we need to play this year? Cause now you can activate. Let's take Melvin Gordon versus Keaton Mitchell, for example, Gordon, you can put on the practice squad Mitchell. You probably couldn't have passed that. That's, That's so exactly true. Right. So that's sort of the way I see it. And I do think there's still that opportunity. What is it in uh, January where they can start looking at the the futures contracts? They use that for both Simpson and Trayvon Mullen, I believe, this year. Um, So I do think that maybe as you get a little bit deeper in the season, that's when you kind of turn it over to a little bit more. Who else can we protect with an eye towards the future? Right. All right. All right. Uh, one more topic we need to discuss, I think, is is the current status of Tyus Bowser. Obviously, you know, this has been a really lost year for Tyus, obviously, because he hasn't got on the field. But, but you know, it started with that awful video of him coming into camp with the with the with the big limp. And you wonder, oh, my God, how long is he going to be out this time? And obviously he's he's on the an NFI designation, which means he's had an injury away from the facility. The Ravens obviously are not happy about it in terms of of uh, what's happened. They don't use that designation lightly. 
they haven't talked about how it occurred, but now there's some some language that Harbaugh is using in terms of that, that might be leading. How do you, how do you interpret it? Yeah, I think there's um, some financial incentive to this whole uh, you know situation here. Um, Harbaugh used words balls in his court. He also said there's some things we're working through. There's a bit of uncertainty there. And um, according to the rules of the NFI, per Brian McFarland, um, the Ravens are receiving a, a one-eighteenth of his annual salary credited back for each week that he's on the NFI. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Ravens said, at this point, we don't know what we're going to get um, from him. And if he's going to be uh, nursing his injury to the point where he's not benefiting the team very much, maybe they'd rather just take the cap space. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know where they. Uh, what What is their allowance for keeping a player on NFI? Whether the player can say, "Wait a minute, I'm ready to play." Uh, I, I think it's it's got to be the team's determination on this. I, w- I would think it has to be. But the way t- that that Harbaugh is talking about it, it's it's that Bowser has to make a decision between some sort of season-ending surgery or potentially either working through pain or working with the with the injury as it is now and getting surgery at the end of the season or whatever it might be. Obviously not being specific beyond that, but um, it, that was the impression I was getting from the language that was used that, that was that it, it related to that. But I, I think, you know, the Ravens are fortunate that they use the NFI designation on Bowser. He signed for one more year. And as McFarlane also told me, this was that the, the, um, uh, a contract is not toll, and I always have trouble with exactly what that means because I'm not a lawyer myself. But but I believe it means that he go he moves into the last year of his contract next year at his final year base salary, and the contract doesn't effectively get deferred a year, so that he's signed for 24 and 25. Uh, we're going to probably should ask Brian for clarity on that because I actually understood it the opposite way that uh, that this would basically be a a no, you know, a no, a no count year. And then uh, you still have two more years left on it. If he stayed on NFI for the whole year, but let's look at this. I mean, Bowser's been dealing with this knee issue since mini camp. I mean, he really hasn't been, I mean, we're talking, this has been a lot of months now for, for an injury that he suffered, not doing, not football activities, NFI. So, uh, I don't know. I, I think there's some frustration within the organization. I think there's probably some frustration on Bowser's part. Maybe he wants to be activated and then work his way into playing shape so he can get paid and the team doesn't want to start paying him until they know they're going to get some return on that investment there. And that seems to maybe be – this is all speculation, but uh, Harbaugh, as you mentioned, has been using some uh, some interesting language and uh, trying, to, trying to dissect what this, this all means – if you do have a way coming back um, and ready to play and you already have Robinson and Moon taking a lot of snaps along with your, your starters, um, maybe you're okay. You know, as good as the Ravens' pass rush has been, having Tyus Bowser back would be a huge addition because it gives you a flexibility in terms of deception that is second to none. And I, my, my biggest fear about it is that Tyus Bowser wouldn't be Tyus Bowser this year. Right in terms of hobbling around and, and it would mean he's a less of a coverage player and then less of an asset in that way. And instead of 32% of the snaps dropping a coverage, which is his career rate, he looks something more like, like Clowney where he's a, he's a almost always a pass rusher in that situation. That's going to have less value to the Ravens. So 
Um, I, I think I'm with you that 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 I would be at this point if if they're not certain Tyus Bowser is going to be back at, at pretty close to 100 percent of of what he was. I think they they'd probably do better to uh, maintain the designation and allow him to to basically redshirt for the entire season. And I, I think I would have that opinion regardless of whether the contract um, tolls or not, yeah. since I don't know what that means. That that, <laughs> that goes either way. Well, either way, you're you're saving some money to put towards the cap next yeah. year, whether it's, but uh, yeah, I, it's you know we'll, we'll probably find Claire. We'll finally find the answer to that in the next two weeks. I would imagine. I don't think they're going to dance around this too much longer, based on uh you know the way they they do business. Right. All right. Outstanding. Always a pleasure talking football with you, Voss. Tell folks where they can find your work online. I am at Vasilis Beatdown on Twitter. V a s i l i s Beatdown. Uh, writer and uh, editor for Baltimore Beatdown Blog, and I also have a new podcast at Raven's Way Pod every Thursday night. All right. Outstanding. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. I want to get right back to you with your about your idea and, and see if we have a show there. For Vosloricos, this is Ken McCusick saying, we'll talk to you next time on Friday Morning GM. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.